Hey folks, welcome back to another edition of Fire and Ice Sports. As always, my name is Evan Smoke, a fourth year student at the University of Georgia, joined by the local ice. I'm the resident fire. Three hours southeast of me would be in the city of Statesboro, Georgia. Maybe next week we'll be back together in Wake Ross, but it'll be Mr. Bryson Wheeler. Bryson, how are we doing today? Doing great. And yeah, hopefully next week we can do one actually together. We'll see how our schedules work out. But uh, Noah is here with a trivia question for us. Yes, yeah, so. Jimbo Fisher just got fired. He had the highest buyout of all time. Who has the second highest buyout of the head coach? Why do I feel like it's Charlie Weiss Jr.? He's third. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody. Oh, uh, no. Was, he didn't get one. I was thinking Mel Tucker. He didn't get a buyout. Ball Harson. No. Nobody's. Uh, uh. Freaking Auburn's coach. Gus, <laughs> Gus, yeah. It was Gus yeah. Good. Think of his name for a second. Well, all right. Well, while we're on college football, let's go ahead and get into it. And we will talk about some firings that happened this past week. But let's talk about a coach that got suspended first. And it's John Harbaugh. The verdict yeah. finally came in. What is yeah. that? Jim Harbaugh, John coaches the Ravens. Jim, my bad. I'm I'm just horrible names to start off this podcast. But uh, Jim Harbaugh gets a three-game suspension for sign-stealing with Connor Stallions, whatever. You can think whatever you want to about, but the verdict's in, three-game suspension. I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. People were freaking out, oh, no, this and that. But I don't think people understand that head coaches really don't have – that difficult of a job on game days and that's all he's missing and so like I don't think it matters that much I, I you saw this past week it really didn't matter for the Penn State game they still got a nine-point win and then I don't think it's going to matter much for the Ohio State game he's still there during the week game planning he's talking with his assistants and this and that and I mean Harbaugh doesn't really call many of the plays on either side of the ball anyway so I don't think missing him's going to be that big of a deal and we saw it as Michigan beat Penn State this past week, as I mentioned, by nine. And they did not attempt a single passing attempt in the second half, Michigan, that is. And I'm not sure why. Yes, besides the pass interference. I'm not sure why, though. Because, one, I do think J.J. McCarthy is a little overrated. I don't think he's that great quarterback. But he's still a very good quarterback. And I don't know if the trust level wasn't there for him or what it was because – People are like, oh, well, they ran it down their throat. They didn't need to pass it. You can look at it like that, but I look at it as there were so many third and eight and third and tens, just third and longs, that they ran the ball and did not get it. I don't know if it was a trust issue there. They only got 4.9 yards per carry, which is good, but Penn State averaged 4.7. They still threw the ball. So I don't understand what happened in that game, but what are your thoughts on the win for Michigan and the hardball suspension? So the Harbaugh thing, first off, they are supposed to go to court on Friday to see if he can coach in Maryland and Ohio State. So we'll see how that ends up. But the biggest thing I take away with this is probably threefold. The first off is I think the NCAA got peer pressured more than – or excuse me, the Big Ten or NCAA, whoever came down with this fine or suspension, got peer pressured more than anything. I mean, the investigation was still ongoing. I mean, the results were and – I, and I think we can all agree that they probably did do this. And Harbaugh was probably aware of it, if not the ringleader. 
But at the end of the day, the investigation's still ongoing. We don't have all the evidence yet. You know, Michigan had turned over evidence that showed that other teams were possibly doing a lesser version of their crimes. It just seemed very, like, reactionary versus factual um, to suspend him for these three games. And I think that's what court is going to happen in court on Friday. I don't know if he'll be, you know, allowed to coach Saturday or versus Ohio State. That's yet to be seen. But second off, I think this Michigan team's a lot better than some people thought they were. Uh, I thought this team was really good. Uh, I wanted to see them be battle-tested. They were battle-tested Saturday. They still had a nine-point win. But I think more than anything was not even – it, it possible could be, you know, a phantom injury to J.J. McCarthy or, you know, something mental going on that they saw in the first half they didn't want to mess with. But I think more than anything, it wasn't even like, oh, it's all they needed to do. I think this stems from offensive coordinator Shamir Moore being scared. And, and I think while – I think he had so much pressure on him because he felt like he had to win this game for his coach, and we saw the emotions after the game. I think the big takeaway was I really think he saw it was working and he was so timid to change up the game plan that he just continuously called runs. Um, and he just had made that agreement personally, you know, with himself and, and it, and it worked. So like, let's not discipline him or, you know, call him out too much, but I think this stems from Moore's nervousness or fear uh, more than the lack of trust in JJ McCarthy. Yeah, I could see that, or if it was a possible, you know, tweak to a hand or shoulder or something for McCarthy, and they just wanted to save him. I mean, it worked, like you said. It didn't cost them, but it was just very questioning when they kept running on third and long. But let's move on, and let's talk about another great, great coaching job. And I want to talk about Alabama and what Tommy Reese and Nick Saban have done, especially with Jalen Milrow in this offense. I mean, after the Texas loss, Everybody wrote them off. I wrote them off. I thought they were going to lose to LSU, possibly Ole Miss. You know, I thought they were going to finish eight and four, nine and three, be horrible. And it just hasn't been that. And the job that Tommy Reese and Nick Saban have done to simplify the game plan for Jalen Milrow, run a lot of RPOs, a lot of read options with him, do what he's great at, use his legs, and then use the passing game to counter off of that. It has been a phenomenal job of coaching, and this Alabama team is getting better and better every week. They beat Kentucky on the road by 28 this past week. Milrow threw for another 234 and three touchdowns, did have one interception, and that's the one thing we keep seeing from him. He's still a little bit careless with the ball at times, but on the ground he had eight carries for 36 yards and three more rushing touchdowns to add from his total from last week, and I mean – He's playing great football. This offense is looking phenomenal. This team is looking great. And on the flip side, I want to talk real quick about Terry on Arnold, who, in my opinion, very well could be the best defensive back in college football. And you might think that's crazy. Go name for name at the top of the list and find me one better that's ter than Terry on. It's going to be really hard for you to do. So props to Saban on recruiting him. I know Florida was in heavily on that recruitment. Don't remember the other third team, but there it was a hard fight for Saban. He got the guy, and Terry on Arnold as a true sophomore is playing some phenomenal football on that side of the ball. What are your thoughts on this Alabama team? They're scary. I, I don't. I don't know how else to say it. They're scary because there's nothing that strikes fear in me more as a Georgia fan than a Nick Saban who is ridden off and has nothing left to lose, and, and that just kind of feels like how this team has played the last couple of weeks. I mean, especially in that LSU and Kentucky game from this past Saturday. I mean, they have been – we are still who we are, but no one will believe us, so we'll just have to show you every week. I mean, style points, kicking them teeth. Dallas Turner's having a great defensive year. 
Um, the offensive line has improved from the early season struggles, and, and like like you said, this is a great coaching job not only by Saban, but by Tommy Reese to adapt and define what works for Jalen Milrow, to work with him, and to figure out, um, you know, ever since that bye week they had earlier in the season, what really works for them, you know, moving down the stretch, and, it, and it's worked phenomenally. Um, I mentioned a little bit last week, you're a little bit more reserved than I am, but I, I'm, I'm a little terrified, and I'm not even scared. I'll say terrified to play Alabama. Uh, and the reason that is is not only because I'm worried about that law possibly losing because I think the Georgia Bulldogs will still win that game. Don't get me wrong, but a, a loss would be so catas- cataclysmic considering how the rest of the college football playoff field is shaping up currently with two weeks to go in the regular season. Yeah, and what I want to talk about this Bama team is, you know, the last few weeks I've said nobody in the country can beat Georgia. I think this is now the one team that can. I won't. I would not pick them to. Like you said, but we've seen Georgia get off to some fairly slow starts the last five, six weeks. And if that happens against this Bama team and they get to play their game, run outside the tackles, get Milro involved, then hitting on the pass game, it could be a very long game for Georgia. But if Georgia gets off to a hotter start, kind of like we saw against this Ole Miss team, and you have to see Jalen Milro pass to win the game, and he don't give him the run game like he wants, I think it's going to be a long day for Alabama. So Bama just needs to keep getting off the hot starts, using this run game to complement the pass game. If they can keep doing that, teams, they are very much a national championship contender this year. But let's move on, and let's talk about Washington as they survive another Pac-12 close game against a very good Utah team. And in the first half, this Utah offense gashed Washington and this Washington defense has not been the best all year but they really stood up in the second half when it mattered most now we saw the was the interception or scoop and score where the guy dropped it at the one yard line for Washington you remember oh you're talking to me he well, dropped yeah. it, was a, it, was, it was a pick six that he dropped okay it's the pick six dropped at the one-yard line, Utah recovers it. That would have put the game away. But props to Washington. They keep finding ways to win games. This offense is awesome under Michael Penix. But I want to talk about one other thing real quick, and I want to talk about the job that Jamarcus Shepard has done for this Washington team. And people are probably like, who is that? Well, he's their passing game coordinator. Ryan Grubb's the offense coordinator. But I want to talk about Jamarcus Shepard for a minute because – do you remember who the LSU offense coordinator was in 2019? Joe Brady. Nope, he was not. He was the passing game coordinator. Noah did not know the offense coordinator as well. It was Steve Insminger. But who got all the praise? Joe Brady. And I think it's almost time to start doing that with Jamarcus Russell to Ryan Grubb. They really remind me of it. You watch all the passing concepts that they do, it really reminds me a lot of that LSU team. Now, they're not as talented as them. Not putting up the numbers like they did, but the concepts are really, really similar, and it's starting to give. It's time to give Jamarcus Shepard some praise as their passing games coordinator and the job he's done with Michael Penix. So props to Washington for winning another. But what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, this Washington team survives and advances every week, and that's something that is not quantable. Like it's, you know, the eye test is really, you know, not in their favor. But at the end of the day, they survive and advance, and that's worth a lot. It's kind of like what I talked about earlier in this season with the USC team. I was like, I don't think they're that good, but they keep surviving and advancing. So 
are they just going to luck into wins? Now, obviously, we've seen USC fall off, and I don't know if this same thing will happen to Washington. But they keep playing with fire, and eventually, we think we're going to get they're going to get burned. But every week, they have the extinguisher right there, you know, near the end of the game to put out the flames and to walk away clean. So, undefeated team so far. They got a great matchup this weekend. We'll talk about later in the week or later in the show. Sorry, but man, just. This Washington team, they make me not a believer and a believer every week, it feels like. I, I really don't know how to say it other than that because I walk away from the game going, wow, this Huskies team is probably one of the better top five teams in the country, like the rank. But I'm sitting there in the third quarter watching it. I'm like, this team's not worth anything. So I don't know. Yeah, and they've got another tough test later, like you said, we'll talk about. But let's move back to the SEC real quick and – Missouri absolutely pummels Tennessee, and people heard me talk about this Missouri team last week after the Georgia game, and I kept raving about them and raving about them, and I thought they'd beat Tennessee. I did not think it would be this bad, but 36-7 to win at home was a phenomenal win for this Missouri team. Brady Cook threw for 275 and a touchdown. Cody Schrader had 205 and a touchdown on the ground. He also had five receptions for 116 yards. And Cody Schrader is about to gash my Florida Gators this upcoming week. So if you are a gambler, bet every Cody Schrader over possible this next week. On the other side, Joe Milton couldn't really get too much going. He threw for 267 and a touchdown, did have an interception. And they only had 83 rushing yards. So this Missouri defense was very stout against this pretty good Tennessee offense. But Missouri keeps looking great every week. But what are your thoughts on this? This Missouri team's a top 10 team, and we saw it last night in the new rankings that came out where they jumped one loss Louisville to become number nine. And I, I don't know if I agree with that completely, but they're definitely a top 10 team. They deserve a tier six bowl if they run the table the, these next two weeks against Florida and Arkansas. You would assume they would. But, man, this team, Drinkwitz has done a hell of a job. He should win SEC Coach of the Year, bar none. I mean, the man has been impressive, to say the least, because some people thought coming into this year a bad year for Missouri, and he'd be out the door. Um, and he's completely rewritten that narrative, so hats off to him and his staff. Um, this Tennessee team is so Jekyll and Hyde when it comes to road at home. They play really well at home, at least for a time, and then when they go on the road, they look like they're a 7-5 and five team. It's very interesting. I mean, we saw it earlier this year when they went down Jack- or not Jacksonville to Gainesville to play Florida, and they lost. And we don't think Florida's worth anything. So at the end of the day, this, this Missouri team is really good, and, and obviously I don't want to take any credit away. Road Tennessee's bad, but Missouri beat up any t- version of Tennessee on Saturday with that 36-7 win. Schrader had a great game. He'll probably continue that streak. He's one of the most underrated running backs in the country. Um, and I was talking about this a little bit last night. I would love, 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 like a Missouri-Washington Cotton Bowl would just be amazing. Yeah, that would be a very fun one. Or, you know, if Washington gets to Oregon, drop Oregon to that, that would be very, very fun. But the last game from this past week that I want to talk about is Georgia throttling Ole Miss. And Ole Miss jumped out of the gate with a quick touchdown. And people were kind of thinking, oh, no, is this going to be another slow start for Georgia? Are we going to let them hang in? And could this be the one to finally get us? And no. I, I mentioned last week I didn't think this Ole Miss team was near as good as the Missouri team. And it, it came true. They jumped out as a 14-14 game early in the second, and then Georgia just show, finally showed up. Carson Beck looked great. Kendall Milton was great. Dejon Edwards, they ran for 300 yards and five touchdowns on the ground while throwing for 311 and two more touchdowns. I mean, I feel like this was the most complete game by Georgia all year. And 
their defense even looked good. Now, Quinshawn Judkins had a decent game, ran for 75 and two touchdowns, but Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders could not get anything going in the air. So props to this Georgia team for another great win. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we keep talking about the slow starts, and I don't, I don't even know if it's a slow start anymore. A lot of people can script that first drive against Georgia, but immediately afterwards they, they go quiet. You look at Missouri. You look at Tennessee. Excuse me. You look at Florida, not Tennessee. You look at Ole Miss. You even go back to the South Carolina game. I mean, this team, this defense is susceptible in that first drive because, and I don't know if it's a coaching, you know, mechanic that we're doing with Schumann and Muschamp, but it seems like we're playing very basic that first drive. We let them do what they want to do, see what happens, and then we immediately, you know, Anaconda style constrict them the rest of the game because of what they did on that first drive. So, again, we'll see exactly the reason of that. But I, it doesn't worry me that much. The biggest thing that you take away from this game is the rushing ability. I mean, to run for 300 yards is very vintage Georgia. We hadn't seen that in like two or three years, not even this season at least. Kendall Milton has a career day, nine carries, 127 yards, two touchdowns. I think Dejon adds another, you know, 16 carries for 60 yards, two touchdowns. Andrew Paul gets his first career rushing touchdown in garbage time. I mean, just just an awesome, awesome, uh, you know, game to be at. It was my last game as a student. I was in the stands under the lights in Sanford Stadium. I mean, it, it was a great ending. I have never lost a home game as a UGA student, which is bonkers to say out loud. Um, but just a really impressive win, but we've got to not look ahead. I mean, this Tennessee team this weekend, I think it's going to be a task. I'm not saying we're going to lose or we'll be close, but it's going to be a task to say the least. All right. Let's stay in the SEC one more thing, and let's talk about the coaching carousel that's about to start happening in the SEC. Jimbo Fisher, even after a win, gets fired from A&M. $76 $76 million buyout, as we mentioned earlier. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to replace him. A lot of big names are being thrown around. One that kind of surprised me is Dan Campbell. I get that he plays there, but why would Dan Campbell leave the Lions for what that he he's he turning won't. them into right now? I've seen that so many places, Noah. So Your prediction. He's Your prediction. probably the number one name I've heard. He's probably the most thrown around name I've heard. But Zach Arnett in that blowout loss, gets fired as well from Mississippi State. And then Sam Pittman is getting thrown around as possibly getting fired very, very soon as he lost 48 to 10. Yes, Chip Kelly is now being thrown around, which I do not understand. UCLA was a very good football team last year. They're a solid football team this year. Nobody thought he was going to turn around in a year or two. He's done a great job there, in my opinion, so far. I don't understand why he's getting thrown around about being fired, but what are your thoughts on all those coaching changes? Um, Jimbo knew it was coming. The Zach Arnett thing was an impossible situation. I mean, I feel like he was only promoted because he was Leach's right-hand man. And, you know, after Leach's passing, it felt like the program should stay in the family, but it became very apparently quickly, even in the locker room, that he just wasn't a head coach. He's an amazing defensive coordinator. And some people, that's their ceiling. I mean, that's just how they are, but – I don't believe there's going to be a future in head coaching for Zach Arnett. He's a he's a Kevin Steele, um, Joe Brady, however you want to call him. He's great under someone. He just isn't got the moxie to lead the team. And, and now they both get fresh starts. Um, I, I want to hear your thoughts right now. No scuttlebutt, just the early signings. Who are the two people who take over those jobs come next fall? Oh, man. 
Um. Go. Yeah, Noah's got some. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Well, for Texas A&M, it's going to be Lane Kiffin. I correct. That is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. For Mississippi State, it will be John Summerall from Troy. Okay. I, I like Summerall. I think it'll be Chadwell. Yeah, uh, Chadwell didn't turn off his Twitter location the other day. It was Photoshop? Yeah. Okay. Well, I could definitely see that. Uh, I, I I don't I don't like regardless of Photoshop or not. I think it's Chadwell. Uh, yeah, I totally can agree with that. A and M. I don't think it's going to be Lane Kiffin. I don't think he makes. I get there's more money there, recruiting's easier, and this and that. But Ole Miss is just as good almost of a football program as A and M. I don't get why you make that move in the same division. Uh, yes, he might get paid more, but like. I, it doesn't make much sense to me for that. Because you get paid more, your boosters love you more, you have more NIL money, and your team is more talented when you walk in tomorrow than what he has in Oxford. Are they talented? Yes. On paper yes. they are, but when you go to the roster, like, I don't know if they are. I mean, I see what you mean, but we have seen Lane Kiffin do more with less. I tell you what, who I'm I'm looking at some names right now. Mike Elko is another one I could really former defensive coordinator under Jimbo. He's the heir apparent to the throne. Yes. Uh, Kalen DeBoer, I could see that. Washington. Um, this has Glenn Schumann. I do not see that yet. I think Schumann does have a solid job coming, but I don't think it's going to be that quick. I don't think Schumann will leave yet until he can yeah. go be his person. Yeah. So, yeah, after – oh, I'll, t- I'll give you two. Dabo Sweeney and Mike Elko are the two that I can see. I can see Dabo leaving, yes. I, I think Dabo's fed up with that fan base. I think he's kind of seeing the writing on the walls. And I, I don't think he gets fired, but I think it could be, very well be a mutual – while we want to move on, we're not going to fire you. Why don't you go find another job? And I can easily see that happening. But all right, let's move on to the games for this next week, and let's get some picks in. Last week, I went 7-0, and clean sweep. You went 6-1 and with your long loss being picking Penn State. So let's move into this week. As I actually have a five-game lead right now. But the first game, Utah versus Arizona. This should be a fun one. 2.30 kickoff. Another Pac-12 great game that they're giving us. Arizona is a one-point favorite, but I think this Utah team's too good and too physical. I get, I love this Arizona team and what they've done this turnaround. They've been awesome this year. But I think Utah's just a, a step ahead of them right now at this point in the year. Utah's playing some good football. Just went toe-to-toe with Washington on the road. Give me Utah in a very close one. Arizona went toe-to-toe with Washington earlier in the season, too, so let's not forget that. They did. Um, Noah Fafita is a man among boys as a true freshman playing football right now. He is excelling in Jed Fish's offense. Jed Fish is a contender for Coach of the Year, in my opinion. And if it wasn't for that overtime loss earlier in the season to Mississippi State, they'd be getting a lot more, lot more love than they deserve. I think this Arizona team is too hot to lose a game at home. Give me the Wildcats over the Utes. All right, next one, Georgia at Tennessee. Three. Well, actually, no, I want to get your pick. Who you got for Arizona, Utah? Zona. Zona. All right. 
Uh, Georgia, Tennessee, three thirty kickoff in Rocky Top. Ten, or Georgia is a ten point favorite. I think this Georgia team's just rolling too much. I think it could get close. You know, possibly another maybe slow start for Georgia, Tennessee. Maybe the offense gets hot. It's in Rocky Top, hard place to play, Needland. I think it could be close. I don't think it will be. I think Georgia ends up covering this spread. I think Georgia wins by 14 to 17. Yeah, I agree, too. I think it's going to be a close first half. I think Tennessee comes out, throws the kitchen sink on us. Um, and Like I said, there's nothing scarier than a team that's got nothing left to lose, and that's exactly what Tennessee is. They'd love nothing more than to break every streak we have in Neyland this weekend, especially after last year where we destroyed their hopes. I really think this is going to be a very interesting game. This is a game that screams get in, get out. I'm not expecting a lot of flash, a lot of big points, possibly, probably low scoring, but I'm, I'm going to take Georgia kind of similar to what it was last year. It could be 27-13, 27-17. No, he got. Uh, I'm taking Georgia. I don't think Tennessee will score much. I'll, they'll have 10 points, I think. They'll score 10. All right, UNC at Clemson. This line surprised me. Clemson is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought they probably should be favored. They, they're coming off a great win this past week. The offense is finally coming alive. I do think they win this one, but I'm not going to pick them to cover the six-and-a-half. Give me Clemson in a close one. Yeah, I'm going to take the Tigers in a close one as well. I, I, this North Carolina team, other than, you know, Trez Walker and, and Drake May, they don't really have a lot to offer me, it feels like. They seem to continuously underachieve, and I think it continues this week. Clemson, Clemson knows that they're the big power in the ACC still, regardless of the record. That's kind of the ambiance around them. I think at home at Memorial Stadium will play a big factor, give me Clemson late score to win the game. Noah, who you got? I've got Clemson by 10-plus. No, I'm just going to say they're going to cover the spread, and it'll be a high-scoring game, both teams in the 30s. All right, Kansas and Kansas State. Kansas's quarterback room is all banged up. I, they very well might be on their third string again this this week. Kansas State's played some good football. They're seven-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. I'm going to pick them to win, but another not cover. Give me Kansas State in the close one. I really want to take the Jayhawks. I think Lawrence is a becoming a difficult place to play. I like what Lance Leipold and his team has done, you know, to try to get that team up to the upper echelon of the Big 12. The problem is Jason Bean and Jalen Daniels both being out is going to be a rough, you know, hill to overcome. I want to take Kansas State in a close one. Give me Avery Johnson, late score to win the game. Noah, who you got? Uh, if Kansas was on their second string QB, I'd take Kansas but since you're on the third string, I'll go Kansas State. I agree with that. Me as well. Uh, going back to the Pac-12, 7.30 kickoff on ABC. Washington travels to Oregon State, and Oregon State is favored in this one, and I'm tired of the disrespect to the Huskies. I get they may not have looked the great in some games this year. I get the defense may not be that good. But they've won some really, really good games. They beat Oregon, and nobody's giving them the credit for that. Everybody's talking about Oregon in the Pac-12, and everybody's wrote off this Washington team winning the Pac-12. They're saying Oregon's going to win out. Do they get in over this or that team? Well, let's talk about the undefeated team still left in the Pac-12 of Washington and this great offense and Michael Penix and what DeBoer's doing there. I love this Washington team. I get they may not be the best in the eye test. They have some really good wins this year. 
I think they add another to the resume this week. I I'm, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm fine with people picking Oregon State, but for them to be covered is just straight – or for them to be favored is just straight-up disrespectful to me. Give me Washington by a touchdown in this one. So, this is the biggest dilemma game I've had all year. Oregon State's the wagon. I go with them. I go down with them. That's just, that's just my team, man. But the AP top 10 curse is real. Have you, have you picked up on this? No. Old Miss was the number 10 team in the AP poll last week. That is now the sixth straight week that the number 10 team in the AP poll has lost the following weekend. Can you guess who the number 10 team in the AP poll is this week? Oregon it would State. Be, it would be the Oregon State Beavers. It is a dilemma because it's like I know the curse, but if I side with the curse and pick the and go against the wagon and the wagon wins, I'm going to be really pissed at myself. But then if I go with the wagon and they lose, I'm going to be like, well, it was the curse. I should have known. I really like what they've done to Reiner Stadium. I really like what Jonathan Smith has done. He really should get that marquee win. I think he gets it this weekend. I'm going to take the Beavs close, but I know I'm going to be mad about it next week. All right, Noah, who you got? Taking the bees. Okay. They knock a PS throws or has a few bad decisions and Oregon State capitalizes on. It, it's also what I was saying about earlier, like Washington keeps playing with fire, and I know they keep finding the extinguisher with time ticking down. I think this flame just might be a little bit too high. Uh, this team has wins over USC on the road, Oregon. With four loss, and the yeah, Oregon I, game Utah. they should have – who I, mean, I think losing this weekend will be a four-loss team. This team has some really good wins, and they just keep getting rode off in the Pac-12. And they might lose this week. I, I, I think Oregon State's a really good football team. But I think Washington's a great football team. That If somebody knocks Georgia off, that and that being Bama, I think they could win it all. Now, I don't think they can beat Georgia. I don't think any team besides Bama can beat Georgia. But – I think if you if somebody can knock George out for them, they can win it all. I love this Washington team. I love Michael Penix. I, I'm all over him. Give me another win for him. The next game, another team that – it confuses me why they're favored. 12 o'clock kickoff, ABC, Louisville at Miami. Miami's a half a point favorite. I got I to let them pick them. Yeah, I, I don't understand it because – I'm not high on this Louisville team, really. They're the worst 9-1 team I've ever seen in my life. But they're a lot better football team than Miami. Miami is not a good football team at all. I get they just went toe-to-toe with Florida State. I think Florida State's a very overrated team, and I very well might pick against Florida State next week, just hinting at something I haven't decided yet. But uh, Miami's not a good team. Miami's not a p- hard place to play at. I don't understand why they're favored in this one. Give me Louisville by 10. I, I agree. I'm going to take the Cardinals on the road. I would not be shocked if the Hurricanes rally back and win this game. I think the Cardinal – I think the Louisville Cardinal can win the ACC. Like, I genuinely do. Um, I would pick Florida State to win, though. But I think they have the capabilities, and Jeff Brom's done a hell of a job coaching that team in his first year. Very Sonny Dykes-esque. I like this Louisville team. I think they get the business done this weekend in Coral Gables. Noah, who you got? Uh, well, Tyler Van Dyke got benched last week. and Emory Williams gets hurt, so now Tyler Van Dyke is back starting again. Where's Jakari Brown? 
He transferred, didn't he? Uh, no, he's still there. I could have swore he entered the portal. No, Garcia entered the portal. Yeah, I think he might have entered it. Um, mm. let, me, let me do some quick research. So, who do you have, Noah? Uh, it's the Tyler Van Dyke comeback tour. Miami wins. Ooh. <laughs> Noah just likes uh, disagreeing with me. I mean, if you spend a day in our house, me and Noah will argue over something we agree about. Like, no, Noah. Noah knows his score or his record isn't being counted, so he's like, "Freak it!" I actually am counting his record this week. I have it right written now. Yeah, I do not have previous weeks for him though. But uh, all right, last game: Kentucky traveling to South Carolina. This should be a fun this SEC game. game. Stinks. What's that? This game stinks. It does, but it was probably the next best game. It it was a close line. SEC game, it's two teams who have been very struggling lately, but this game is in Columbia. It's a tough place to play. It's going to be a night game. I think Spencer Rattler has a bounce-back game. I think the South Carolina team comes out throwing. I think they look good. I think they're going to win this week. Give me South Carolina by four. Just, just so you know, USC and UCLA and Texas Iowa State for the Big Twelve Championship berth were also on the schedule this weekend. Just, just wanted that to be out there to the public. But yeah, I'm gonna take the Wildcats as well. Beamer, Beamer's probably on his way out. Not this year, but next year. I, I think the, the culture down there was really great. I don't know if his X's and O's are that good. I'm gonna take the Wildcats in a bounce back. All right, Noah. Oh. <laughs> um, what game is it? <laughs> Kentucky, South Carolina. Uh, see, uh, I went South Carolina, so I know you want Kentucky. No, I think we're going South Carolina. I don't know why, but South Carolina. <laughs> all right. That is all I have in college football, if that is all you have. That is all I have. All right. Let's move on to the NFL real quick, and let's talk about the job that C.J. Stroud has done this year as a rookie. He came in as the number two overall pick behind Bryce Young, and people were, you know, debating the two for forever. And the last two weeks, C.J. Stroud has showed what he's really about. Two weeks ago against the Bucks, he threw for 470 and five touchdowns, looking phenomenal. And this past week, he went toe-to-toe with Joe Burrow and beat him on the road, threw for 356 and another touchdown. And he seems to be like – looking like the Panthers made the wrong mistake in the quarterback. And it may not be. It's still very early. Bryce Young doesn't have many playmakers around him, doesn't have an offensive line. Who knows what the coaching job's doing there. But C.J. Stroud's looking phenomenal. So I just want to get your thoughts on him. C.J. Stroud is a man among boys. And I think we talked about this, you know, in the offseason. We were like, should Stroud be the number one quarterback off the board? And I, and I, I even thought – I, I toyed with the idea. I, I came back down to earth and picked Bryce Young, but I looked like a dummy for doing that now. But like you said, it's really early. Hats off to Stroud and the Texans for playing as well as they have been. But I think Young will progress, but I think Stroud is a heck of a quarterback with a great future. And this is a quarterback who is – I think he was second in the NFL in passing yards. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, I'd say yeah. And has a 15-2 touchdown and turnover ratio. I mean – He's having a really, really great rookie season, one of the best I've seen in a while. Let's talk about one more thing, and I want to talk about the Bills' loss on Monday Night Football because it was one of the worst losses I've seen in a really long time. 
Let me just give a little backstory for what happened to those of you who don't know. There were about 20 seconds left in the game. It's third and 10. The Broncos have the ball, and neither team has any timeouts. So me and Noah are talking, and we're like, should they knee it, rush the field goal unit out, and kick the field goal? Should they go ahead and kick it on third down here with 20 seconds left? Should they throw a fade to the end zone, just waste four or five seconds, you know, throw it out of bounds, whatever, waste a few seconds, and then kick the field goal? Well, they end up doing the option that I did not like, rushing the field goal unit out there. They ended up missing, I think it was, what, a 39, 40-yard field goal. It was a very short chip shot, you would think, for an NFL kicker. They miss it. Well, the Bills have 12 men on the field. I guess all the confusion and chaos that did happen hurt the defense just as much as it hurt the offense. And the Broncos get another chance at the kick, and everybody knows that they're going to make that kick. They end up making it right as time expired, two-point win. But I think it might be time to move on from Sean McDermott for this Bills team. McDermott, he's a good coach, but he – has not done anything over the past four, five, six, how many ever years Josh Allen's been there with how talented that he's been. Diggs, they had a great defense. I get they've lost a lot of pieces this past year. They lost a lot of pieces on both sides of the ball. They're not the team that they were. But I think it might be time to move on, and this could be the first domino to fall of him losing his job. What are your thoughts? Yeah, McDermott's job security is getting hotter. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. I do think removing Dorsey and putting Brady in is going to be a possible upgrade. We'll see. I know Allen really likes Joe Brady, just like Joe Burrow did. But do you guys know who the 12th man on the field was? DeMar Hamlin? It was DeMar Hamlin. Who says he was the 12th man? Maybe he was the second. No, he was the guy who ran on the field late. Okay, we don't have to point names. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's all I have in football. So let's move on to a little bit of basketball real quick. And I do want to mention Arizona beating Duke the other night. A huge win for this Arizona team, looking really great. But I really want to talk about the Champions Classic from last night. Duke bounces back in a big way. They win 74 to 65 over a Michigan State team who now has two losses on this early season. They're still a good basketball team, but they're not great. Like James Madison. Yes, lost to James Madison. But Duke with Kyle Filipowski, he's looking awesome. He's one of the best, if not the best, player in college basketball. He had 15 and 8 last night. Proctor had 13 and 6 for Duke. Foster off the bench had 18. And for Michigan State, Walker had 22, Hall 18. Sissoko, though, he really struggled with Filipowski down low. He only had two points, three rebounds, and that's not what you're used to seeing out of Sissoko. So props to this Duke team, and it was fun to see a good matchup like that and seeing college basketball back. But I want to talk about the nightcap a little more, and it was Kentucky and Kansas because this was a great game to watch. Noah's over here laughing, and we'll get to uh, Antonio Reeves in a minute. And that's why he's laughing. But got off to a very slow start. They got down nine to nothing. But from that point on to about five minutes left in the game, they really owned this one. And it felt like Kentucky was back. They're missing three seven footers last night. Hunter Dickinson did have a field day putting up twenty seven and twenty one. But with those big guys out, we knew they'd struggle down low. But 
Kentucky played great in the middle, I don't know, 34 minutes of the game. Robert Dillingham hit four straight threes on four possessions, had 18 points on the night. He got in foul trouble. That's why he couldn't do much more. The arrow for Kentucky had 16 and 13. Uh, Justin Edwards, who some people were saying could be the number one pick this next year, really struggled, only have one point. DJ Wagner only had four points for them. But it was great to see a really, really good game. And props to Kansas and Hunter Dickinson down low, putting up 27-21, like I said. Uh, what's the dude's name? Harris guy, first name? Dijon. Dijon something. He had 23 for them. K.J. Adams had 16. Both of these basketball teams look really, really good. And if you didn't watch this game, you should have because it was a fun one. Kansas, number one team in the country, survives and advances. Kentucky, when they get their big men back, they're going to be a really scary team. They're a really young team. Robert Dillingham is going to be a stud. I love the kid. But did you watch either of these games? And if you did, what are your thoughts on them? I saw the end of the Michigan State-Duke game waiting for the rankings last night. The Michigan State game – or Duke looked really well in that bounce back from the Arizona loss a couple days ago. You know, hats off to them. I think Michigan State's not as good as people thought they were. And I understand two losses in the early part of the season is an overreaction. I just – I'm not loving what I'm seeing out of their guard play right now. Uh, as for the nightcap, like you said, Hunter Dickinson did really well in his first game with Kansas, but – or not first game, but one of his early games with Kansas. But Kentucky, like you said, looks vintage, and I think they're only going to improve as the season continues. Absolutely. All right. I don't have anything in the NBA to mention. If you hold, 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 hold. Yes, I did forget Antonio Reeves. He was 3 of 17 from 3 last night. Now, this is a player who is a 40% three-point shooter the last two years, so he does need to get up his shots. But – you know, when you've missed 10, 12 straight threes, you kind of wonder, should you stop shooting that night? Maybe it's No, you time. always shoot. Shooters shoot. Shooters do <laughs> shoot. I like it. I was fine with it. You know, they take them out for the final – or it was the final defense possession for Kentucky. And Noah and Jackson are like, they took them out finally. And then he comes right back in on offense. I was like, okay, I'm fine with that. Shooters shoot. Get them shots. He's a really good shooter. Just had a very pitiful night and – for some reason, like to keep shooting the ball. But I, I love the confidence. He's a great player. He's going to bounce back big for Kentucky. He's going to be a huge part for them if they want to be a national championship contender this year. That's all I have in the basketball world, though. So let's move on to one thing I want to talk about in the baseball world. And it's Ron Washington and Eric Young Jr. leave – or Eric Young, not Jr. Eric Young, Eric Young Jr. Yes, Sr. Leave the Braves to go to the Angels to manage. Ron Washington's going to be the general manager, of course, and I love the heart. The manager. I am slurring words today, but um, <laughs> but Ron Washington, great hire for this Angels team. They're a talented team, especially on the offensive side. We saw the draft picks that they used to get the pitch in the last few years. I think the pitch is going to come around, and Ron Washington could be the guy to turn around this franchise. We saw what he did with the Rangers. Braves fans know how crucial, vital he was to this Braves team. He was the infield coach as well, you know, hitting ground balls all the time, teaching fundamentals to Ozzy, Dansby when he was there, Arcia, Austin Riley, Matt Olson, Freddie Freeman. Listen, Ron Grissom. What? Von Grissom and his 
Ron Washington Military Academy last offseason. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on of the guys, the great players that he's coached. And he's, I think, stepping into the job day one, he's one of the best managers in all of baseball. It really hurts to see him leave the Braves. We're not fully sure what impact this is going to have on the Braves yet. It's going to be interesting to see. It, it may not hurt us much at all. It could be a huge, huge impact. I mean, he's one of the best third-base coaches in the league. He was all about sending players, testing outfielders' arms. It was fun to watch. I hate to see him leave. It almost made me shed a tear. But, Ron, I hope you're great in uh, L.A. I hope you do great things. Just don't beat our Braves in the World Series if we, it ever comes to that. What are your Get thoughts on that? Rain. Yeah, what are your thoughts Oh. I mean, it's a, it's a huge loss. I mean, there's no other way to say it. I mean, losing Eric Young, too, is a one-two punch. I mean, obviously, first base coaches aren't super instrumental, but both of those guys were huge locker room guys. They were beloved by the franchise inside and out, and now the Braves have an impossible task to fill not only one choose but both of theirs. So it's going to be a fun offseason to see um, if we go get them. The other thing I do want to bring up, Warren Buffett bought a stake in the Braves today. Why would a billionaire buy a stake in the Braves? Eight point eight million. Uh, Just saying. Take over for Liberty Media. Just saying. Brian Windhorse meme. Why would they do that? Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> no, no. I, I'll just go ahead and tell you, Braves fans, uh, give up every bit of hope for Shohei or Aaron Nola. Neither is going to happen. We would not pay either the money that they want. So if you have the smallest bit of hope for either, get rid of it. It's not happening. That Juan Soto, Otani, uh, and Ronald Acuna outfield next year is going to feed families. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to feed families. Michael Harris at the age two. And let me guess, Caleb Williams is returning to college football, and him and Lincoln Riley are transferred, both going to go to Florida, and Florida's going to win the national championship next year. Is that what I'm hearing? No, y'all still lose. That's fair. uh, Could you imagine Lincoln Riley coming to be the head of that defense? How bad they'd be? Oh, my God. Well, we have have a mass player. No, no, you wouldn't. (laughs) Well, all right. It's time to get into our bold predictions. Do you have one? Yes, vintage Brock Bowers returns this weekend in Neyland. Give me eight catches, 124 yards, two tutties. I just like making Brock Bowers your uh, bold predictions, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> and I'm usually right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I'll go to the Florida game because I, I've been talking to Noah and Jackson about, you know, I keep saying to them, if you like money, bet every Cody Schrader over. It's, I think it's very true going to happen. Him and Brady Cook. I think Brady Cook rushing yards is going to be such an easy bet this week. Florida's run defense is abysmal. Pass defense is not good, but it's better than the run game, run defense. I think Cody Schrader has over 250 total yards and three touchdowns. Jesus. That is my bold prediction. And Billy Napier gets fired in the locker room? Like, Nope. Billy's coming back next year. I don't think there's any – unless he does something very stupid, and I mean like non-football-wise, he's coming back as the head coach for the Florida Gators next year. Now, I think he needs to hire an offense coordinator and a special teams coordinator, and if he hires two good ones of those, 
And the changes that would happen, I think, would happen there. I think he's going to be the Florida coach for the next few years. But if he does neither of those or just one or the other and you don't see major changes, next year will be his last year. Can't wait to watch Lane Kiffin at Texas A&M. No, nah, not happening. Well, all right. Do you have any last words before we wrap it up? Uh, no. All right. We'll go Braves, go Hawks.